Hello, everyone. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast was recorded and is made available to you by Whitley Penn LLP and WP Wealth LLP solely for informational purposes. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are general in nature and are not intended to be construed as the provision of financial or investment advice by Whitley Penn or WP Wealth. The information discussed in this podcast is accurate as of the day it was recorded, but may then become outdated over time. Please feel free to contact us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns in regard to the content presented. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Bree Miller, and I'm joined today by Tom Ryan on another episode of WP Talks. Last we met, we were coming off the results of the presidential, Senate, and House elections. We discussed the initial market's reaction to a change in administration and some of President Biden's immediate policy implementation by way of executive orders. We also discussed the recovery we were seeing in the overall economy and markets as we began the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. So today, we wanted to get back together as we are experiencing a more robust reopening of the economy across the United States, with more than half of adults having received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccination. We've also um, have more history under our belts, uh, under a Biden administration, and are beginning to receive a clear message around some of his agenda items, such as spending and tax reform. So we wanted to give you all kind of a state of the economy. We are seeing signals of continued economic growth and hope for a fully functioning economy, and would like to share some of the implications and trends as a result. Tom, like I said, we're seeing signs of real economic recovery and growth. As many people have been vaccinated and are able to get out and enjoy life again, businesses are reopening and rehiring has begun. As a result, we've seen a pretty rapid drop in unemployment rate. March's unemployment rate was at 6%, down from 14.7% in April of last year. We heard Chairman, Chairman Powell anticipates unemployment to move from 6 to 4% and that he's expecting GDP around 6 to 7, which would be the highest level in 30 years. Sounds more like a boom than a recovery to me. Uh, you know, however, with such high hopes for growth, there's concern of inflation. Do you think the fear of hyperinflation is likely? And you know, if we do experience inflation, what steps can Fed and tre- or in the Treasury take um, to help tamper that? And what implications would that have on the economy and the market? Well, there, there's a lot in there. And first of all, it's great to be back. There's obviously a lot that's uh, happened since last we visited. And you know, you, you did a great job of highlighting uh, some of the changes in the current state of, of affairs. And you know, to your question specifically, the first part of that relative to inflation. Um, you know, we hear every day, that, that seems to be the overriding concern that most analysts talk about is, you know, with all the liquidity and, you know, ex- extremely low interest rates, uh, are, you know, is there an opportunity to go back to what we saw in the late 80s when we were in a hyperinflation environment, obviously the damage that that, that does to an economy. But I think it's important to kind of peel that back a bit. You know, certainly we see inflation uh, today. We know about uh, home prices and 
car prices. There's not a there's not a a purchase that a consumer makes today that they're not seeing uh, inflation in. But I think it's important maybe to differentiate what we're seeing in the short term versus what may be a longer uh, trend. You know, to me, when I think about inflation, I go back to the definitional inflation of uh, too much money chasing too few goods. And so when there's when there's excess demand and limited supply, obviously prices increase. A you know, perfect example is housing uh, today. There's very little inventory, and so we're seeing excessive price increase. And I think in the short term, you were definitely seeing that, but I'm not sure that it's it's not more of a matter of um, a result of the COVID lockdown economy where production and manufacturing was impaired either either because facilities were shut down or parts of the world where we're getting goods from are still in a lockdown mode. Um, so I think we are we are having constricted supply and there's no doubt there's a tremendous amount of liquidity either through the economy reopening or through uh, federal uh, spending programs that is creating uh, the inflation. Uh, but I'll be curious when the world opens up in a full way, whether manufacturing activity can reestablish inventory levels and things normalize, or whether this is more of a permanent issue. I, f I find it hard to believe that uh, in the current state of affairs, that you know the majority of let's just focus on America, the United States versus the rest of the world. You know, we hear discussions about the haves and the have-nots, and obviously the population is made up uh, majority of have-nots that still are living pay paycheck to paycheck and and don't really have excess um, income at the end of the month. So I find it hard to believe that that that's going to change materially in the short term where all of a sudden the majority of the purchasing class now has excess income in their pockets to continue a sustainable excess demand for goods and services, which would cause traditional inflation. So I, I guess I'm betting more that it's, a, it's an effect of the COVID shutdown and that it's, it'll be transitionary to, uh, to get stockpiles back to a level where it's meeting demand and prices stabilize over the long term. So we'll see, you know, but the second part of that is, so if, if it is, you know, to your point, if it is more uh, systematic that it's, it, it's really, you know, the inflation is, is more of a problem because we're growing, as you mentioned, maybe at six to 8% GDP growth and, and unemployment falls to, to you know, pre-COVID levels. You know, what can the Fed do to alleviate that? And you know, I think it's it's really a matter of you know switching off of an accommodative uh, Fed policy, i.e., low interest rates. You know, purchasing bonds, creating liquidity, to more of a contractionary situation where they're either stop uh, uh, buying bonds or actually you know start uh, 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 canceling some of the, the Fed balance sheet through. Uh, through Fed uh, moves and also re increasing interest rates, which would be contractionary to the economy, which are traditional moves that the Fed would take to slow down economic growth. So, you know, we, we've been told by them that they're not even going to consider that until 2022, that they're willing to let inflation run hot because I think they also believe it's transitionary 
that longer term, the economy is probably not going to be at a level that is going to create sustainable inflation. But, you know, we, we shall see. But I think we're pretty safe for the rest of this year, at least, before we have to worry about that. So you mentioned the Fed's ability to adjust interest rates. While it might be later next year, um, but you know that is a possibility. So how could we anticipate an increase in interest rates affecting consumers and um, the companies that they're investing in? Yeah. So you know, I think obviously it would be very problematic. I think higher rates would definitely be. Um, an issue for economic expansion and growth and stock prices. You got to think about the level of debt that, as an economy, that we have taken on, not just in the last you know year or two with COVID, but you know over the last ten or fifteen years through um, some of the expansion of of government spending as a result that resulting from the 0809 financial crisis, and then really ever since then we're looking at close to $30 trillion of debt, uh, not even accounting for some of the off-balance sheet debt that, that various uh, government uh, agencies carry, whether it's Social Security or Medicare or the like. And, and you multiply that you know, downstream, so you think about the federal government debt load and then recognize uh, the amount of debt issuance that states, uh, local municipalities, uh, down to household level, you know, the size of mortgages that are being taken and then businesses uh, are very highly levered uh, and, you know, largely because interest rates were so low, they found it to be a very attractive way of financing expansion and acquisition of their businesses. So when you consider an increase in interest rates and, 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 and magnify that at the level of debt that the economic system takes on, it'll be a huge drag. Uh, from available capital for more expansionary purposes. And so I think it will certainly impact consumers uh, as their borrowing costs increase, whether it's loans on cars or homes or credit cards. Uh, certainly businesses will be impacted. It will have an erosion on earnings because their their balance sheets have, have taken on so much debt over the years. It will affect earnings per share. And from the government levels, both state, local, and federal, it will it will take a drag off of uh, uh, tax collections as far as their ability to invest in more expansionary uh, uh, ways of, of growth and whether it's federal level or state level, and it will it'll be a drag on that. So I think it will certainly have impacts on reducing the amount of economic growth that we could have. So you you talked about the level of debt that uh, consumers and companies are taking on as a result of low interest rates. Um, it's interesting, margin debt has reached the highest point in two years as investors have borrowed a record $722.1 billion against their investment portfolios through November of last year. We saw Robinhood, a popular retail investor platform and most recently known for the controversy with GameStop, has lowered their margin rates from 5 to 2.5% at the end of last year. And just last month, we heard about the massive losses generated by Archegos, who went bust after borrowing billions to speculate um, on stocks such as Viacom, CBS. So, um, you know, we know that that the low interest rates has has encouraged um, some speculation. How do you think, you know, that's generally affected appetite for risk? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Robinhood is a perfect example. You know, there's probably a big 
percentage of the investor population that came into the market uh, after the financial crisis. So, you know, we hit a low point in, I believe it was April of 09 from the financial crisis. And then for the last 12, 13 years, we had nothing but steady upward trends of, of stock returns. And so if I'm an, an entrant into investing, uh, within that time period, all I've experienced is positive returns. And so if, if given that, and I've been, I've been a, a conditioned that the markets are going to continue to go higher because of spending and, and, uh, and growing economies, um, and I have the access to, to take some debt, margin debt or other source of debt at extremely low interest rates and have the belief that, that, investment returns uh, will continue at a robust manner for the foreseeable future, I think it encourages speculation and risk. Um, you know, so much of investment in crypto and in a lot of these SPACs and a lot of the other investment themes that we're seeing out there today are being done with leverage, margin, uh, debt, or other types of debt. And I think it, it truly encourages uh, that speculation and risk taking, you know, that works until it doesn't. And as we all know, markets don't go up in, uh, forever without adjustment. And so the question is, you know, with all that speculation, with the increase of leverage, are we going to experience a really uh, ugly time in the market as that unwinds and those margin calls? We saw a little bit of that when the when the private office, private uh, family office went under. Uh, because of their speculative uh, uh, option trading, it really did have an impact, uh, at least for a short period of time, and that was isolated. But if you see that on a more widespread, systematic basis, I think the markets um, could be in for a pretty volatile period. So um, that, that leverage is not reducing. If anything, it's increasing. And so that's something we certainly need to keep our eye on and understand. But I think it does certainly dislocate capital flows and encourages excess risk-taking uh, along the way. Most of what you know we've just spoken about sounds like trends and fears that may cause an investor to want to pull back risk or you know proceed with caution. However, last time we met we spoke and discussed about the positive impact that continued spending and um, some of the agendas under the Biden administration for spending was going to have on the market. So, you know, we just saw the approval of the third stimulus package. We're still working through spending that. And then next up, we know, is an estimated $2 trillion um, infrastructure plan. So we know that spending will continue at least for the next year. How do you see this impacting ongoing growth in the market and, and some of the trends that we're seeing as a result of that? Yeah, you know, I, I think certainly it will be favorable to stock prices, in the short, at least in the short term. Uh, when, when all that liquidity gets spent in a marketplace and you put the multiplier effect on, on money um, and it, as it changes hands and it changes hands, obviously it's going to create economic growth. Um, you know, it's, it's, whether that economic growth is sustained or whether it's a one-time deal, that's yet to be seen and that depends on the type of uh, programs and, and projects that the, the infrastructure plan is um, earmarked to, to benefit. You know, the I think that's that's in the short term. You know, unless the economy can can pick up its steam on its own, independent of that stimulus or that that support, it could be short lived. 
But if, in fact, uh, it's spent wisely and it's invested in ways that create multiples of, of economic growth, then I think it could be more, la- more long-lasting. The concern that I have is that given the level of spending, um, that, that maybe at some point we compromise the value of the dollar, that maybe the dollar uh, loses its value worldwide on a, uh, from, a, from a global perspective, and maybe the world potentially loses confidence in the dollar um, if it becomes uh, too commoditized and, and worth less. So you think about a, a, the value of a dollar today versus a year ago and consider you know, the trillions of, of printed money, obviously uh, unpaid for uh, spending that, that has come out of Washington and, and really pushed out from the Federal Reserve. You know, in theory, obviously, a dollar today has to be worth less than it was a year ago before we put trillions of printed dollars into the marketplace. You know, my my hope is that it doesn't weaken the perceived value of the dollar around the world, and 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 allow for alternative currencies, whether it's crypto and you know, it's a whole different podcast discussion, probably, but or or other baskets of currencies that. The world may look to as a more stable force. I think if that happened long term, I think that would be very problematic for our country, given the level of debt that's denominated in dollars and and how uh, we're perceived as the economic kind of uh, stable force around the world. To that point, you know, we we last touched on this in our last episode, but you know, we know that there must be some kind of offsetting revenue for this level of spending. Um, we've received more details around tax reform with the first focus being on corporate taxes. Uh, Will you share some of the details on those changes that are being talked about and uh, where do you think tax reform goes beyond adjustments to corporate rates? Yeah, that's that's a really uh, important discussion and you know which it's just taken shape right now. For, For the first time they're actually you know Congress is actually trying to link some of the spending with some revenue raised. So maybe the recognition that, uh, you know, the concept of monetary, modern monetary theory where you can just print money to accomplish uh, stated goals uh, has, has hit a roadblock where they're actually talking about needing to pay for. And so, as, you know, as you've indicated, the, this first infrastructure package that's still being negotiated, they've kind of earmarked or tagged corporate taxes as a pay for on that. And, you know, the Biden administration has been very clear that their goal is not to impact, you know, certain taxpayers. You know, they use a threshold of $400,000 of earnings and below. But the reality is, you know, everybody is impacted by corporate taxes. So forget about individual income taxes and payroll taxes and estate tax. That, that's come, coming down the road. But as you affect income taxes of corporations, you know, as a corporation, you know, they have the ability to the extent they can, and especially if we're in an inflationary environment, to pass those increased costs, i.e. taxes, in the prices of goods and services. So that affects every income level, whether you're at the lowest level or the highest level. If you're buying things and corporations are increasing the cost of that to the consumer, everybody's paying for that. So that's just false on its face that, um, that only certain taxpayers will be impacted. Everybody will be impacted. So that's a drag, you know, uh, on the economy to the extent I have less money to spend because 
everything I spend money on cost more. It's a drag on economic growth. But more importantly, you know, what, what we don't want to do is put the United States at a disadvantage globally uh, for business. So if because of taxes, it costs more to produce a widget or provide a level of service and, um, and the consumer can find that, that same alternative through another uh, manufacturer in a different country at a lower cost because taxes are lower, then prudent business would indicate that you buy, you, you know, you supply those goods and services at a lower cost, at a lower price. Consumer wants that. They have more uh, income to spend on other goods and services, but obviously that affects employment. It affects our local economy. So first and foremost, you know, we have to be really thoughtful about um, working or tinkering with taxes. First on the on the on the platter, obviously being corporate taxes. You know what we saw under the Trump administration is by lowering corporate taxes, we have we created you know tremendous economic growth over that the last administration as compared to the prior uh, many years, um, and unemployment was at a, a historic low levels. You know whether they, you know you could infer that that was a direct correlation between a more positive business environment with tax policy and regulations that trans transcended into stronger economic growth and lower employment, raising wages. So I hope that increases in corporate tax rates don't have the reverse effect. And my fear is that they very well could. You know, that the next part of it, as I understand, uh, the administration is soon to come out with part two, which may be another trillion or a trillion plus of, of programs. And they really haven't developed what those will be yet. But as we understand, probably link the funding of those with individual tax um, uh, changes. And again, that's where specifically uh, the Biden administration is talking about affecting only certain levels of taxpayers. So under the corporate tax increase, everybody pays for it. Under a targeted individual um, uh, tax increase, uh, maybe a segment of the population. The risk there is that you make it unattractive for those that have capital to that make the investments uh, in the economy to be willing to take risk for a, um, a, a watered down return. So a risk return basis, if it gets too low because of tax uh, erosion from your expected return, it may impede an appetite for uh, investing in ex expansionary type projects. And so taxes generally are misallocation of capital. It's government taking more money from the, the investment community, which potentially could be invested in more robust, economically stimulative projects and are captured by governments and spent in a less effective, less economically stimulative way. That's generally not a great recipe for economic growth. Uh, People spin it, people have opinions about it, but bottom line, if capital markets can spend money in the most effective uses for, for stimulus and growth, it's usually more effective than when government does it. So again, uh, we're still early in administration. It's becoming a little clearer on what their, their position and posture is in both spending and as we're starting to understand taxes. So I, I guess stay tuned and we'll see uh, as this becomes more of a reality what the implications are for economic growth and for appetite to make investment going forward. Really great information. Uh, thanks for that. So, you know, all very important items to think about and evaluate as investors in the market. 
uh, like you said, these big policies and agenda items are you know just in their beginning stages. As financial advisors, it's our job to observe these trends and react proactively in incorporating this information in our clients' financial and investment decisions. So um, maybe on our next episode, we should look to get back together to discuss some of the planning ideas uh, that could come to light as a result of some of the topics that we discussed today. I think that would be useful to our to our listeners. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, with with every change, there's there's other opportunities. We we saw that last year with uh, the CARES Act and Secure Act, as as legislatures reacted to the current environment and and change rules, it, it it provided some great planning opportunities that we were able to implement on behalf of our clients to put them in a in a better financial position or tax position or or just a more secure financial state, if you will. And so certainly uh, with change, it, it, will, it will close some opportunities, but maybe open up some others. So uh, look forward as we get more detail on that to get back together and share some of our thoughts on how investors and, 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 um, and consumers may uh, take advantage of, of the changing environment uh, to put themselves in a better position. Yep, that's a great tease for the next a series and hope you guys will continue to look for our uh, newest releases. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please follow along and check out our websites at wpwealth.com and follow along with us on LinkedIn. Thanks again. Thanks.